You would please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, we're going to read through the first 21 verses. This is God's Word. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus, and he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now, Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered him a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for them and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted, and he had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. The story here is about the miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. The only one of Jesus' miraculous signs that's recorded in all four Gospels, and that's the feeding of the 5,000 men plus women and children. Now, if this was a typical crowd, the women and children might outnumber the men. We don't know that for a fact, but we know that if it was just the 5,000 men, it would have been an unbelievable miracle. Except it shouldn't be unbelievable, because it's true. So what happened? Well, there's a preface to this. The reason why Jesus and the disciples went to the place that they did was because Jesus had just gotten some sad news. Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, who was his 
forerunner, the one who went literally sent by God to announce the coming of Messiah, John the Baptist had been executed. And so we're given that bit of backstory in the opening verses, and then we get to the miracle. Look at the backstory first. Herod heard reports about Jesus. What kind of reports? Well, Jesus was doing miracles all over the place. Jesus was attracting enormous crowds because he not only said things that were amazing, he did things that were amazing. And so people came. Even if they didn't believe he was the Messiah, they thought he might be. And meanwhile, it's a great show. They were amazed by the things Jesus was doing. So trying to come up with some explanation, Herod reverts to his fears. He's afraid that John the Baptist, whom he knew was preaching the truth, had been raised from the dead. Jews believed in the resurrection if they believed the scriptures. They thought this life is not all there is. And the reason they thought that was because God said that. The Sadducees, the liberal priestly group, didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the literal devil. But they found out when they died. They were wrong. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. But they didn't like Jesus, for the most part. Some Pharisees got converted. There were even... Perhaps some Sadducees that got converted, but not a lot. But Jesus was doing miracles, and Herod thinks, oh my word, John's back. This could, this could mean trouble, <laughs> okay? The man I killed has come back to life, and that's why he has these miraculous powers. Well, Herod was obviously wrong. But then Matthew gives us, this bit of backstory. Herod had killed John because Herod was not just the puppet ruler controlled by Rome. He was a Jewish man who knew the law and he knew that what he was doing was wrong. Well, what was he doing? He was treating his brother's wife as his wife. He had gone to dinner at his brother's house and found his brother's wife to be so extremely attractive that he said, hey, babe, come live with me. I'm the king, you know. I rule this area. You come live with me. Be my wife. And she did. She and her daughter moved into the palace with Herod. And this is not okay. John the Baptist, being God's prophet, simply said, well, I don't say things about politics or politicians. No. Moral issues are not political. I hate it when people try and tell me, don't talk about abortion. It's a divisive issue in our country. Well, what about adultery? Can we talk about that? Well, that could be 
That could be divisive too, but it's okay to talk about adultery if you have to. Just don't talk about abortion because we have one political party that says it's bad and one political party that says it's good. Well, in Germany, you had one political party that said, let's kill the Jews. But if you were against genocide, does that mean you were dabbling in politics? John the Baptist told Herod, you can't do what you're doing. It is wrong. This was upsetting to Herod. It was even more upsetting to Herod's pseudo-wife. And so Herod put John in prison. I mean, let's, let's cancel his Twitter account. Let's pull him off the airwaves. We don't want him talking, all right? So he puts John in prison, and it says he wanted to kill him, but he was afraid to because the crowds believed John was a prophet. Well, why would they believe that? Because John was a prophet, okay? The crowds were right. Herod knew it, but he still wanted to shut John up, but he was afraid to kill him. But one night he was given very little choice because this lecherous man, this adulterous man, is having a great big party. And as part of the entertainment, his stepdaughter does a dance. And it was some dance, okay? She came in. By the way, I enjoyed the talent show last night. I watched online. I wasn't down here, but I was watching online. And, and so we had all kinds of things going on down here, didn't we? Well, this gal had a talent for seduction. She did a dance that was so seductive that Herod couldn't control himself very well. He didn't just watch. He lusted. And he says to his stepdaughter, Ask me for anything you want. I'll give it to you. Anything. You can have anything you want. Anything. So she said, just a minute. And she went and asked mom. He says, he'll give me anything. What shall I ask for? And her mother said, ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Now, that's just Gross. Okay, I mean, it's, it's one thing to want somebody killed. That's murderous, that's evil, it's wrong. But if you want their head on a dish at dinner, they're having a dinner party. I want his head on a dish. That's not just evil, that's demented. That is so twisted, that is so bizarre, that is just horrible. She said, good idea, Mom. She went, told Herod, that's what I want. And Herod was distressed. Not because he had this great affection for John, but because he'd been afraid to kill him because he'd be in trouble with the people. And he wanted to be popular like all politicians. Even those who think that they are kings. And so, because he had made multiple oaths, promised very publicly that he'd do whatever she asked when she publicly asked for this. He felt he had to do it. Didn't want his guests to think that he wasn't a man of his word. 
Can you imagine somehow feeling that you will display your integrity by killing someone and having their head brought in on a platter? It's really twisted. That's the sort of perverted logic that ends up generation after generation among people in government and out of government. The human heart, the Bible says, is deceitfully wicked above all. Who can know it? In other words, we're not just bad, we don't even realize how bad we are. So, Herod did it. And word was brought to Jesus. Now, this had already happened. And when Jesus gets word of it, he says to his disciples, let's, let's take a little break. We need to get away. So they get in a boat, and they head out across the Sea of Galilee. And the crowds are like, can you see where they're going? It looks like they're going over there. I bet they're going to that place. And so the crowd goes around the lake and is there when they arrive. And Jesus said, don't go ashore, guys. Let's just stay out here on the water. Is that what he said? No. Jesus had compassion on them. And Jesus healed many of them. And Jesus even taught them. But time was slipping away and they'd gone there for a little vacation. So the disciples came to him and they said, look, this has been great. <laughs> we, you know, you're just amazing. We, we love you. But uh, night is approaching. All these people are here. We're hungry. They're hungry. Let's send them away so they can go into the surrounding villages and get themselves something to eat. Jesus said, we don't have to do that. You give them something to eat. <laughs> are you kidding, right? Jesus, do you see how many people there are? I haven't counted exactly. But it's a big crowd. I mean, I mean like huge. Thousands. And uh, we, we don't have anything. This gospel gives a condensed account other gospel accounts, and remember, it's in all four gospels, the only miracle in all four gospels. The other gospels tell us that one of them did the math and said it would take a year's wages just for everybody here to get a bite. Okay? Jesus said, see what you have. Andrew. That guy. Andrew said, well... Uh, there's, there's a little boy here, and he's got uh, um, just, just a lunch of five small loaves and two small fish. But what is that among so many? Jesus said, bring it to me. So Andrew got the little boy to bring the meal to Jesus. And the little boy said, um, sir, I'd be willing to share with you. Um, my mom gave me this, but... Uh, how about if I keep one of the loaves and one of the fish 
and I give you the other four loaves and the other fish. Would that work? So I'm, I'm giving most of it to you. I'm just keeping this much for myself. My mom really wanted me to eat the whole thing, but I think it'd be okay if I just share some with you. Is that what the little boy did? No. The little boy gave it all to Jesus. That's what St. Andrew's is about. It's what the school is about. It's what our lives are about. It's what that mural is about. We want to encourage boys and girls, men and women, people everywhere, to take everything they have and give it all to Jesus. Lord, have your way. Have your way. It's all his. We are his. So, Jesus told the disciples to have them sit down in groups of 50 and 100. That's not in this description of it, but it's in the other Gospels. That's how they ended up having a good count as to how many people were there. Because they sat down in groups of 50 and 100. Much easier to count if you can do it in groups. So, then he took this food, five loaves, two fish, small ones at that. And when the need was so much greater than the supply, Jesus said, what am I supposed to do with this? Father, why do you put me in these impossible situations? I just don't get it. I, you know, we got, we got thousands of people here, and I'm supposed to do something with this little boy's lunch. Really? Is that what it says? I can't see without my glasses. It says, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks. He gave thanks. He didn't complain about what he had. He gave thanks. What do you do? Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Is that really your song? I mean, the good part about that song is it does say nobody knows but Jesus. But let me tell you something. Jesus not only knows what our situation is, he wants us to give thanks. Whatever our situation is, whatever we're going through. I had a pastor friend in Atlanta who had a church member that was eating his lunch, was the expression he used. She was just making his life miserable. Week after week after week after week, criticism, complaint, moaning, you know, opposition, anything that he was trying to get done, she was going to try and rally people against it. It was just awful exhausting and he prayed and prayed that God would get her out of the church Lord just send her away there are so many wonderful people here I know you called me here please just get that woman out of here she's a thorn in my flesh it was over a year misery 
Finally, he decided God was not going to remove her. But that his attitude, even though she was a stinker, his attitude was not what God says it should be. And so here's what he did. Now, this is a, a buddy of mine from seminary days, okay? And we were both pastoring churches in Atlanta at this time. He prayed. He said, God, I want to thank you for putting that woman in my church. I don't understand, but I ask you to keep her here until you have accomplished what you want to do in me through her. That's a much better prayer, isn't it? She was gone that Sunday and never came back. What had happened? He had a miserable situation, and instead of complaining, he needed to start thanking God because God's in charge, and God knows what he's doing, and God's working all things together for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. We're supposed to give thanks in every situation and realize that God is at work. But sometimes, instead of giving thanks, we complain. Jesus gave thanks. And when the gospel later refers to this event, instead of focusing on the miracle of the multiplication, it mentions that, but it doesn't focus on that. What instead it focuses on is the place where Jesus gave thanks. Because that is the first part of the miracle. Jesus took what he was given and he gave thanks. And he broke it. And he began to distribute it. And it ended up being multiplied so that they had 12 baskets full of leftovers after 5,000 men plus women and children had all eaten and been satisfied. Uh, this, this miracle is not make-believe. It's history. God can do anything he chooses. He has all power. Well, how could he multiply? I mean, just like loaves and fish. How could he? He's God. We're not talking here about somebody who is trained with David Copperfield or whoever is the person today who's so amazing. We're not talking about sleight of hand. We're not talking about Jesus saying, look, this little boy has been willing to share his lunch. Now, I know that many of you have resources as well, and I just want to encourage you there as you're sitting in those groups of 50 and 100, just look around you and realize if you've got a little something, don't keep it for yourself. Share it with those around you, and I think there will be enough for everybody to have a bite to eat. It's not what happened. This is a miracle. This is a miracle, and it's presented as a miracle. 
The miracles in Scripture are not presented as ho-hum, oh, yeah, we, we all see that kind of thing. Red Sea parting. I remember when that happened once when I was a boy. No. You know, that was a one-time thing. Okay? Oh, the virgin birth? Well, I, I don't have any problem with that. I've known several women who never had relations with a man, and they ended up having babies. You know. No. No. It takes an egg, and it takes sperm, and that's where babies come from. That's why Mary said to the angel, how's this going to be? Because I've never been with a man. The so-called scholars who try to suggest that it was easier for primitive people to believe these things are nitwits, okay? Because the fact is the whole point of the story is that this is not the way things normally go. Twice in the last week I've referred to my interaction with guys in Charleston who were going to go to church on Easter even though they didn't believe it was true. They, they didn't decide, well, I don't believe that. They just didn't think about it. And God keeps bringing me back to that point because, folks, I want you to understand, you either believe this stuff or you don't. You can't have it both ways. Either this is true or it isn't, and you either believe it or you don't. I am standing here pleading with you to open your eyes and open your heart and realize this is God's Word. This is truth. Believe the truth. Repent and believe the good news. Because God has intervened in human history again and again and ultimately in one final thing that everything else is pointing to, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus is the only hope for you and for mankind. He's the only hope. It's not like, well, if we could just uh, get further in our technology, I think we could solve all of man's problems. <laughs> not happening. Well, you know, if we could just get people to uh, get better educated, education would solve this problem. The Nazis were a highly educated culture. If you go to the Holocaust Museum in Israel, one of the things that is just astounding is the educational level of the members of the SS. Boy, education is not the cure. Well, I think the Olympics will bring us all together. You know, the, the idea of, uh, of uh, you know, a good friendly competition from the various nations and, and uh, instead of fighting with weapons of war, we can compete out there on the athletic field. What do you think? Not going to solve the problem. The country that's hosting it is committing genocide. But we don't want the athletes to miss out. There is no salvation in anyone but Jesus. No one else can take the guilt 
and the punishment that we have incurred. We, we deserve God's wrath. Jesus came, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and offered his life as the atoning sacrifice for our sin. So, this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, as it's called, it's not just a lesson for us about the importance of giving thanks. That's true. That's important. But I would plead with you to understand that what it does is it tells us who Jesus is. He's the only one who could meet the need. And he did. And in this story of his taking the bread and giving thanks and breaking it and distributing it, you have a foreshadowing of what he would do on that Passover night when he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Our only hope is what he did. Offering himself in order that we might be saved. Again, I plead with you, repent and believe the good news. Father, we thank you so much that your word is true and we thank you that Jesus is alive and he is Lord. We come to you this day as people who are needy and hungry and have nowhere else to turn. And we thank you that you have compassion on us. We pray that you would continue that work you've begun and that we would be obedient and thankful people. And we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, do we have a-